Hey everyone, welcome to the first ever episode of Market Like a Fintech. Market Like a Fintech is a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies in the industry use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Alex Latham, co-founder and chief marketing officer at CHIP. CHIP is the UK's highest returning savings account. It's an app that helps users save money automatically with AI. Every few days, CHIP's algorithm calculates what you can afford to stash away based on your spending habits. It then transfers that money from your current account to your CHIP account automatically. CHIP is one of the biggest crowdfunded businesses in the UK with over 11,000 investors. They have a user base of over 300,000 active users who have currently saved over £150 million. Last September, they raised £11 million in just three days, making it the biggest crowdfund in Europe in 2020. In this episode, we talk about CHIP's main strategy to enable viral growth, how they built a community of committed investors and their approach to maturing the chip brand. Without further ado, let's hear from Alex. Alex, you began in marketing, working or co-founding a musician management company, uh, and then you went on to work in a financial services startup. First, you co-founded this uh, musician management company, if I'm right, and then you joined a music software company as head of marketing. Yeah. I'd love to hear what makes marketing a music company or what does marketing a music company have in common with marketing a financial services company? Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. And it's, um, yeah, it's got kind of a relatively weird um, path I've taken. Um, but I think there are, there are a lot of similarities. So I think like, when basically when I was at uni, I I think like a lot of students watched the movie A Social Network about Facebook, and they were like, "Oh wow, that sounds like the most amazing thing! How students can go on to create a social network and then suddenly be running billion dollar companies. It sounds incredible." And naively, me and a few other uh, uh, students set up a startup called Melody Network, which was a complete failure. Um, but enabled us to kind of get stuck into um, like tech startups and that kind of scene. And from there, I kind of knew that that was kind of what I wanted to do. But I've always, I've always like loved music and I've always kind of been really interested in the music industry. And to be perfectly honest, like when I was starting out my career, I didn't know whether I wanted to go down the tech route or whether I wanted to go down the music route. So I kind of wanted to straddle both and see see kind of what happened. And yeah, and then off the back of um, uh, Melody Network, I founded or co-founded a, a music management agency. And basically like music management is, all it is, is you're basically doing the marketing for kind of musicians. That's essentially what you're doing, right? You're basically taking musicians as a product and you're wrapping them up in a brand and you're taking them to market. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing is just doing it on, on uh, like, the same way I kind of I do now with fintech and financial products, doing the same thing with musicians and trying to build that brand, build their awareness and 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 take them to market that way. So like I, I did that for a few years and we had some pretty good success. Like we were getting um our musicians kind of getting like tens of millions of streams on Spotify and like we were really doing quite well. 
Um, and then I, I remember really vividly, I was, <laughs> it sounds very wanky, but I was at Glastonbury Festival and it was the summer of 2016. And, um, and someone I was with got out a Monzo card to pay with. And they were waving this bank card around like it was like a flag. It was really surreal. And I, I remember really vividly thinking, oh, it's so strange that someone can be showing off about who they're banking with. Like it's something that's cool. And then it was just a realisation that I was like, oh my God, if someone's doing this and showing off their cool bank, I think this fintech thing is going to be pretty huge. So I looked into it more and that's how I met Simon Rabin, who's co-founder at Chip. Um, and he was off the back of a startup that he just exited and looking to do a fintech. Um, and I wanted to do what that guy did who was waving his Monzo card around. I wanted to build a fintech that people waved around too. And yeah, and then we came together and built chips. So that was kind of a weird, the weird way that we, uh, that I, I went from music to finance. Yeah, I like that. And I like how you discovered fintech in the middle of a music environment, right? So it was kind of a nice bridge right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, th I think like, if you think music historically, it's been like, you're basically, when you're marketing musicians, you're basically marketing a lifestyle. Um, you're like, you're marketing what that musician stands for. And then the musician and kind of the lifestyle that that music is associated with. And I think like modern day fintech more than anything is doing the same thing where it's fintech is now you're, you're really, you're, you're, you're marketing a lifestyle in the same way, like with chip, we're trying to market the freedom that comes with savings and, and, and helping you save. And then other fintechs like Revolut are kind of marketing the lifestyle of being like a global traveler and traveling around the world and having having kind of all access to, to the world's financial products in your hand. And and, and I, I really don't think they're that dissimilar how traditionally bands and musicians were getting marketed in a lifestyle-y kind of way. And now banking products are and it sounds really weird even saying that sentence and it sounds unbelievably wanky but I do think it's true and I think I think um as lifestyle marketing is becoming more and more prevalent um I think yeah financial big financial brands are going to start life, lifestyle marketing more and more and more so back to my my previous my first question which is what do these two have in common you're saying lifestyle marketing right I think so yeah I think um I think if you think about music and and the music that people consume i guess less so nowadays where it's a lot more transactional and you kind of you're on spotify but i think like if you, like 10 20 years ago people were like their favorite bands was because they they aligned with what they believed in they aligned being disruptive um they 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 kind of they signed up even like dance music like you listen to dance music you like a dj and it takes you away to a beach and that, that idea of like this is what this this is what this music is really like saying to me and i think um yeah i th I, th I think fintech is is really quite similar how we're selling we're selling a disruptive product um and we're selling a brand and we're selling selling a movement away from the status quo um and i think that's really what music has been about certainly it used to be um and i actually think less so now i think music is becoming so transactional and so kind of like you put a playlist on you move on and from my experience in the music industry like music is less and less and less about kind of the band and becoming a fan it's more about getting on spotify listening to new new tunes and i think um i think now fintech is becoming more and more music like in the way that is really appealing to that kind of the lifestyle of of which fintech you sign up to how are you being disruptive 
That's really interesting how they're kind of overlapping and then kind of one is becoming the other. And you think we're going to see even more of lifestyle fintech in the future from banks, for example? I think so, definitely. Yeah, I I think um, I spoke about this to the guys at 11FS, how, um, how it kind of traditionally, traditionally, I guess the opposite to music, how um, finance and financial products were a lot more transactional. But now you're really seeing that when banks and, and fintechs are selling their products, they're really selling the the kind of the values and the mission and, and the lifestyle that's associated with using those products. And I think everything kind of from the advertising itself to being like, usually you, you now have like people kind of living their best life, right? And that's always kind of quintessential finance marketing where you want to show people living their best life and associate your brand to it. And even like with influencer marketing, you're seeing kind of banks jumping on that bandwagon and having influencers living their best life, but sponsored by or associated with a financial product. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that in the coming years as companies say and kind of understand that it's not so much about the transaction of the product, but it's more about what does your product say about the customer like what does the fact i'm a chip customer like what does that say about me as a person and i think brands are starting to think how important that is realize how important that is and i think we're going to see a lot more of that in in the coming in the coming years as banks realize especially post pandemic that is not just about the transaction it's about the whole package it's about the customer service it's about it's about the mission it's about the values of the company um, and i think selling that and selling that lifestyle is is going to become more and more and more important so yeah i think it's really exciting i think it's a great thing as well yeah i think this is very like a very interesting trend we're seeing where fintechs and neo banks are in charge of the brand in charge of managing the customer while others you know with banking as a service other fintechs and banks even are more in charge of the rails and of everything that goes behind the scenes so it's quite an interesting uh, separation of the two and it means that you know this is what's happening fintech is becoming a lifestyle and soon it it will become even maybe invisible since it'll be so embedded in everything that we do so that's that's quite an interesting development. But I'd love to also focus on, you know, Chip, when you first started, you focused really mostly on viral growth. So I'd love if you could tell us a little bit what you mean by viral growth and how did you engineer that into Chip? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's, it's something that kind of, I think a lot of marketers go like, okay, we want to, we want to grow virally. And, and it's almost like a flippant thing to say, but it's, it's really, really hard to do. And I think, I think definitely to begin with, at the beginning of chip, we were slightly naive in, in how we could grow virally, but we at the same time have been very lucky and, and yeah, about 60% of our growth to date has come from kind of viral, viral mechanisms or, or word of mouth, um, or the referral mechanism itself. So for us, there's kind of, there's two elements that viral growth. There is the um, the core user experience. So that's trying to make, and that's pretty sim- simple really, but it's trying to make uh, the user experience of Chip as simple and as amazing to use as possible. We really like focused in on like, we call it the wow moment of at what point does someone really think, oh my God, this is actually an amazing product. And for us, it was, for example, we figured out that after someone has saved 120 pounds automatically, Generally, the large majority of people have quite a strong affinity to chip. They find that as their wow moment. So if we could bottle up that wow moment, we know when that is, it then becomes, okay, how do we accelerate someone from telling their friends about chip? Um, And that's obviously hard for us because 
fundamentally we're a savings product, right? Not many people go to the pub and tell their friends about a new savings product. It's not that cool. But for example, other fintechs like Monzo and Revolut, obviously for kind of that word of mouth, it's relatively easy to accelerate because people are in the pub and they show off their card when they pay for things and stuff like that. So we really wanted to tap in into kind of like, how can we intercept conversations about savings and and really kind of encourage viral growth? So we, we did try and like tap into that network effect, so to speak. And for us, it was really understanding, okay, what are people saving for? Um, how can we tap into the conversation there between like, okay, you're saving for this with a friend, talk to your friend about chip. And then it was understanding kind of the conversation, speaking to a lot of users, understanding what would encourage them to refer friends and then building a, a kind of a viral mechanism around how we did that. And for us to start with, it was pretty simple, but it was if you refer a friend, we'll give you 1% of interest for every friend you recommend. And yeah, and, and, and from there it kind of took off and we've been optimizing it ever since, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, I think um, the combination of user experience for us and really focusing on that user experience, which is really hard to do because that's obviously what most kind of customer facing products are trying to do. And then on top of the user experience is how can you complement it with a powerful viral engine and then really using the data to optimize it from there. And that's kind of been what we've been doing for the last few years. And um, and yeah, it's, it's working pretty well so far. So, so far, so good. Yeah, very cool. So I see it's, it's, a, it's a mix of user experience and it's really those referrals with a really good incentive that really moved the needle. And we've seen this with quite a few other fintech companies. I mean, Monzo was like the pioneer in doing this in referrals and all this. I'm wondering if you think that it's been overdone now, like in 2021, if I were to start a fintech and try and implement this kind of strategy, do you think people are like, okay, We've, we've done this before. It's not that exciting. Um, do you think it's still applicable to today? I think it definitely is becoming harder and harder and harder to intercept kind of conversations with people. I think if a product just says to someone, um, go and refer a friend and we'll give you five pounds. Uh, I don't know about you, but if one of my friends messages me and shares me a link and we both get five pounds, like I'll probably pay him 10 pounds just to leave me alone. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more of that where referring people just for the sake of referring people isn't really working anymore. And we're definitely seeing that how kind of a few years ago, kind of, I think Uber really pioneered it where Uber is kind of 10 pound for you, mm. 10 pound for your friend off, off your next ride. That was seriously powerful, but that was kind of when referring people to products was was kind of relatively unique and now it's certainly not unique. I think every every company in the world has a referral mechanism. So I think the big secret then is how can you tap into that network effect? And I think that's really important is how can you make a conversation or, or intercept a conversation between two people, which seems completely natural, and then your product kind of slots in the middle. Um, we talk a lot, Chip, about the jobs to be done marketing, which is instead of trying to, instead of trying to put a brand in front of people at a point of when they're kind of they're not necessarily thinking about saving so for example if i targeted you with a facebook ad and you're sitting on, on your sofa at the end of the day you're very unlikely to click that ad and open a savings account it's just not really how people operate but if i manage to target you at a point on the internet where you're looking for a savings account and you find chip then you're much more likely to open a savings account so the same works with the network effect I think where you want to put your brand in between a conversation that two people are naturally having. Um, and that's when you really see viral growth take off. So for example, like with Monzo, when they did the, um, the kind of like sending your money to your friend, 
And like how many times do you hear people now say, oh, just Monzo me £10? Like that is a classic example of where kind of a referral mechanism is, is intercepting into a natural network effect, a natural conversation. And it doesn't feel spammy. It just feels native. And I think that's really important. I think we'll see a lot more of that in fintech in the, in the coming years, for sure. Yeah, I really like what you say about intercepting a natural conversation. How can you make it natural? And really what you're saying, it is viral growth. I'm wondering if when you first launched Chip, were there any other marketing approaches that had like a good amount of traction that you tested or tried? Yeah, like I think for, for anyone who's, who set, sets up a startup, and this is like always advice I give to marketers who set up a startup, is like, there's, there's no shortcut when you're setting out to, to getting customers. Like like most people, when they're st- doing an early stage startup, don't really have any budget. They can't go and spend a lot of money. So you're basically sitting there with um, just like the internet in front of you, essentially, and uh, and and yeah, and, and not much money. So how do you go and get customers? And, and I think for us, it was, we just hustled at it, really. We just emailed journalists constantly. We were, we were on forums, we were on user groups, we were all over the place trying to be as active as possible and really hustling um and i think like that that to be honest was the kind of the catalyst of, of chip we were just relentless on the internet and talking in personal finance forums talking in groups and, and then eventually just one by one things started picking up like we emailed hundreds of journalists and then we got very lucky and one journalist who was writing an article in the bbc was uh, basically said, okay, I'll feature Chip. And the article was called um, How to Squirrel Away, I think, £40,000 by age of 40. And, and Chip was given a two-line mention. I think we got like we got like 3,000 customers in about six hours. It went absolutely crazy. And I remember, uh, yeah, and I remember from there, it, just, it was all about kind of nursing that audience, really looking after that audience and then building off them. But yeah, I, th- I think for us, to be perfectly honest, when we started, there was no silver bullet. It was just being relentless and on, on with kind of traditional digital marketing, getting out there, making content, putting the content in front of people. And then slowly we built out through through kind of other channels like PR. We hired in a person, a head of PR who's much better at PR than me, thankfully. And then and then also some like affiliate work. But really our secret source has always been the chip community. We have 16,000 um, crowdfund investors who invested in Chip. And community is really our, our kind of our, our secret source. It is where, it's where most of our growth comes from. It is, like I said earlier, in, in terms of building out that amazing user experience, the Chip community and the community of users and community of investors is what gives us that springboard to have that really powerful viral growth. And like, for example, any kind of any blog post we put out automatically gets 16,000 eyeballs on it, on it from our investors who are all really passionate about our brand and then tell their friends about it. So for us, building out that community has been the most important thing and it's not easy to do. And it still to this day is very, very difficult kind of maintaining them and making sure they're positive and that they're bought into the vision and direction of the business. But for us, that has been kind of the most important thing. This episode is sponsored by Growth Gorilla, a growth marketing agency focused exclusively on working with fintech startups and scale-ups. Taking a holistic approach to driving growth, they have worked with over 25 brands. From crowdfunding to automated business finance, you'll be in a safe pair of gorilla-sized hands. Check them out at growthgorilla.co.uk. Ready to catalyze your fintech's growth? 
Yeah, there are two things that are really interesting about what you're saying. The first one is that you have a big group, a big community of investors because you have raised one of the biggest crowd funds, right? Even in, in Europe, I believe in 2020, you raised like 11 million in just three days. So that's one really interesting thing. Yeah. What was the kind of approach behind that? Because instead of raising through, you know, typical methods, you've decided to go through a crowd fund and that's where you're getting your community of investors. So I'd love if you could t talk to us a little bit about how you, yeah, your approach there. Yeah, sure. So yeah, to date we've raised around 20 million pounds from um, crowd equity investors. Um, I think we've done about four, four or five crowd funds now, which is, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. They're, they're definitely... They're definitely stressful when we do them, but no, we've we've had some real success. And you're right; like the last crowdfund we did in September was the yeah, it was the biggest crowdfund in Europe last year, which was yeah, which was fantastic. It was obviously an enormously stressful year for everyone, including us. So, um, to see that support was was overwhelming, to be honest. But yeah, for for us, there's always a stat I throw at people, which I think sums everything up really with regards to crowdfunding. Um, and for us, so if a user becomes a crowd equity investor in chip they're 400% more likely to refer a friend than any other normal chip user and I think that's that alone sums everything up with crowdfunding and why we do it is because not only does it create a massive brand ambassador that individual person but also it's, it's, a, it's a great source of capital like we don't have to jump through the hurdles with with VCs and we don't we don't have to bend over backwards for them we we simply just need to build the product that customers want and it just seems so pure if you think about it like that 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 like kind of someone invests in the business they tell us what they want to get out of chip as a product and we go away and build it for them and for us it's worked really remarkably well so I think that's kind of why we we've always done crowdfunding um what we're good at, as I said, and what we've really focused on from day one is as soon as the customer comes in the door, how can we give them an amazing user experience? Um, and for us, a part of that is involving them in the business, like really making sure that they don't see it as kind of a faceless organization, but engaging them with like video vlogs, um, Q&As, showing them designs, asking their feedback and features, really embracing them as a user. Um, and for us, the kind of Building that community out of, of users has been such a focus for us. And from there, the kind of the act of getting them to invest and actually put their money into chip is is kind of just almost like a it sounds very strange, but almost like a formality. Um when when you're really focusing on a on a community of users, and I think like Monzo obviously do it very well as well, but when when you really focus on that community, you talk to them a lot, you engage them on a daily basis, you answer their questions, and 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 you are kind of you have a relationship with them. When it comes to asking for, asking them to invest, it's really kind of just a, a simple step because they already are emotionally invested. And for us, that's always been the case of how can we how can we get used to be emotionally invested, and then the the actual investing is 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 really just a formality. Yeah. And, and that brings on to my next point, which is really what you're doing here is building in public, right? Which is becoming more and more popular in the tech industry of kind of bringing in not just investors, but also users, which in your case are the same. And that's how you really build a better product because you're constantly asking for feedback, right? Uh, and that's what makes it kind of a really good, it's not only a good marketing tool, but it's also a good product, product building uh, approach and I think like it's, it's definitely not without its challenges I think um, sometimes you've got to make decisions as a business that fundamentally your users and 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 your um and your investors are going to disagree with 
And I think that's definitely an element there. One of the, the things you've got to you've got to really be conscious of is is if all of your crowd investors want one thing, you've got to think commercially, how does that stack up? And I think in the last kind of, mm. I, I don't think it's controversial to say in the last four or five years, fintechs have been just building features, building features and growing customers and focusing less on kind of sustainability of the actual business and actually making money. And it'll be interesting to see that it's only really in the last kind of six months we're starting to see a swing of fintechs kind of focusing less on giving the users the world and more about, okay, how are these businesses going to make money? And I think really how you engage that community and that conversation in a transparent and open way is going to be very important. I think um, I think we're going to see a real kind of pivotal moment in fintech where kind of arguably user experience and giving the users the world does take a backseat to building sustainable financial businesses. So I, I think it will be interesting to see what happens. But um yeah, I think I think um I think the community is always at the forefront of our mind. So it has been a really powerful tool for us and we'll always continue to continue to kind of yeah look after it. And that kind of echoes in in what you're doing at Chip because from what I've read at Chip, you are now uh, maturing. This is uh, a word that I saw on your on your website. But you're you're getting rid of the chip bot. You're not using gifts. You're changing your UX. Chipmunks are now chip early adopters, right? And the sauce is now called the blog. So there's quite a few changes going on. It's quite it's quite interesting to see. So I'm wondering what sparked that change, and what kind of is this part of this whole move towards focusing on profits rather than than users or how, how does what role does this play in your in your branding? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, um, and yeah, you've done some serious homework. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right. We're, yeah. we're, trying, we're trying to we're trying to we're in the process of maturing our brand at the moment, and and there's quite a simple reason why. So, when we set out with Chip, we set out on a broad mission to build the best savings account in the world, um, and then we unpacked that into into two separate parts. And we said that kind of what what are the problems with savings accounts? And the problem fundamentally we can see with savings accounts is that problem one, they're just digital kind of buckets. They don't do anything. You have to top them up. They've got pretty bad user experience. Um, you can get your money when you want to get your money, but they don't do anything. You literally just have to put money in there and, and the amount goes up. And there's no automation or anything clever around it. And then problem two um, is the returns are rubbish. And if you want to get the best returns, you've got to shop around, you've got to go into price comparison websites, and then you've got to open an account, go through all this silly paperwork, and it's really complex. So we wanted to solve both of those problems. Now, the first problem was how can we create a product, uh, sorry, how can we create a savings account that automatically saves for our users? And that was really our focus for the first few years. Um, and with that came an army of loyal autosavers, which was fantastic. But now in, in kind of in the last few months, we're really focusing on that return side of the problem. And it's only really now we're focusing on that returns. So with that basically comes a need to to acquire users who are who, yeah, who are who are who are interested in returns and a, a bit more kind of grown up and also kind of more affluent. And 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 with that, we're trying to focus our brand more towards that audience and and not away from the autosavers, but the auto savers has always been our core, and now we're trying to open up to solving both those problems. Yeah, and 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 with kind of maturing comes the very hard decision of getting rid of the gifts. Um, but uh, it was a tough decision. But yeah, the gifts, the gifts have to go. Yeah, I think we've done um, we've done we've done a few very well. We've done a few controversial things in our past, and by far the most controversial thing we've ever done was 
the inclusion of GIFs in our user experience. The feedback was ridiculous. It was literally 50% of people loved it, 50% absolutely hated it. So you can't win. That's interesting. And are you seeing this in other fintechs? Because I'm thinking of, for example, Clio and other neobanking fintechs who also use GIFs and emojis and... Usually, I mean, it's it's a different target market. So this is kind of chip is maturing. You're targeting a new kind of group of people. And you, do you think this will be seen across other fintechs too? Is this a trend that we're seeing or uh, it just depends on who you're focusing on? I think it's a hard one. So we've done a lot of a lot of research in the last few months. And, and single-handedly, when you're not just talking to kind of tech early adopters and you're not kind of in this bubble of, of kind of fintech in inverted commas and you and you actually start to talk to like normal people in the UK and the actual like the mass market normal normal kind of British person for them always the biggest question mark over fintech is is trust right it always hands down is is this actually legit I think it's always very easy when you're kind of working in tech or working in fintech you kind of forget about that and you forget about that cohort, which is the majority of people in this country. And instead you focus on kind of like the tech kind of like Londoner who is very savvy and open-minded. Like that's not normal. Um, so I think for us, it's, it's, it's really kind of a, it's we're looking to scale. We're looking to get used by more users across the UK. We want, we want to be a mass market proposition. And to do that, you have to accept that being trusted and being grown up in, in Britain is very important. And, and that's why I think for us, it's, it's been so important. I think like, look at Clio, you're yeah, a good example of kind of where they're, they're the, the antithesis of what I just said. They're, they're kind of, yeah. they're very, very cheeky, like very snappy, but also I, I know like Clio has stopped marketing in, in the UK now. Then they're, they're not really doing much yeah. UK based marketing. They're just focusing in the U S and I think that's probably that's probably a sensible strategy because I think if you're looking to be truly mass market in the UK, um, you've got to you've got to address that trust factor. And for us, that maturing of the brand is really one one step towards just really accelerating our, our kind of our trust metric. That's really interesting. So basically, you're saying that in the UK, the mass market is a little bit, you know, not so keen on gifts and emojis, and in America, you think they're a bit more, possibly. So it's a very good question and probably one I'm not qualified to answer. I think like Chip yeah. is obviously like, fun, like Chip is entirely a British product. I know from speaking to other marketers that kind of the American audience are a lot more open-minded when it comes to things. I think, I think mm. in Britain, yeah. we're still a lot more conservative in, in our, in our kind of our knowledge of financial products. Um, but like, for example, we did a survey um, last week and that we uh, that survey went to 8,000 people in the UK who, who who were just random people in the UK they'd never really heard of chip or anything like that and one of the questions was what what do you think about fintech and 30% of people said it sounded great and then I think it was um 10% of people said they didn't like it and then it was like 60% of people the overwhelming majority said it sounds good but I'm not sure I trust it and it has to be regulated. Mm. And I think that, that stat alone tells volumes for kind of like what people in the UK want. They want to see the regulation and they want to see that it's trustworthy. And I think, yeah, I think for us, we're really focusing on that at the moment. And it's terribly important to do in-depth customer research, right? To send out these surveys and to really understand what your target market is 
you know, prefers. And that's what you did. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like that's definitely mistakes, classic mistake marketers make is like just yeah, focusing, definitely. focusing too narrowly in, in the bubble in front of you rather than looking out. And like, for example, so many marketers just think that like London tube ads is the be all and end all of, um, of marketing mm-hmm. campaigns. And the reality is, again, it's it doesn't like from all the marketers I've spoken to, most of them are just shocked at how poorly London tube ads work. Um, because the reality is, is that like, it's fairly obvious, but you're underground and you're seeing something for like a few minutes. And then you, by the time you got to the top, you forgot what that ad was. Uh, but for Londoners, it's, it's, it's like almost like status symbol, um, of London market is a status symbol. So a classic example of where we're stuck in that bubble of thinking that one thing is a be all and end all, but not actually getting out there and talking to normal people and, and how normal people consume kind of consume adverts and, and, and consume like information about products. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, I also saw uh, that Martin Lewis was chatting about Chip uh, on the news, like a couple of videos, actually, a couple of times. I was wondering how you, that obviously probably boosted a lot your your brand. And I'm wondering, how did you manage to get Martin Lewis chatting, talking about you? Yeah, so he's, um, yeah, by far the most influential person or real platform um, when it comes to personal finance, but no, so I, like money, money saving expert, we've always had a very close relationship with. We actually met with them just when we we're starting out with Chip, very, very early on, and we've kind of we've always had a great partnership, great relationship there. And every now and again, when we launch new products, they always very keen to champion them. And it was like a really, really nerdy ambition of mine when we first started was to get on their price comparison table because I think it's, I think if you Google savings account and um, the first thing that comes up is money saving expert savings accounts. And that table is, is the thing that people are looking for. And, and for me, I've always thought, okay, well, if we can, if we can get on that, that's going to be a lot of customers. Um, and yeah, about six months ago, we, we got on that, which is fantastic, but they, they've always, um, they've always been quite a, a big champion of chip um and uh and yeah he's obviously a massive champion of the consumer so so um yeah he's he's a powerful guy it's always um always causes a bit of a nightmare though for my customer service team because every time he talks about us on tv we get inundated with thousands of users but um he and uh, yeah he's obviously super super powerful but um but yeah he's um he's he's a good supporter which is fantastic yeah, definitely. My last question um, for you, Alex, is what do you believe is one marketing play that maybe marketers, chief marketing officers, marketing managers are not doing enough in the fintech space in the world, not just, doesn't have to be just the UK? It's a good question. I think the biggest bit of advice I always give to marketers is, is about building out that community. And it's kind of iterates what I said, reiterates what I said earlier. But I think for for a consumer, it really is night and day when you start to engage them with the kind of decisions you're making. Not only does it really build that trust, it builds that relationship, but it also brings them in and makes them an advocate. And I'm like, I'm always surprised that companies don't do it more often, where they they where they, where they kind of like they have the transaction and that's it. When at the end of the day, if you if you do engage with the customer and you actually talk to them on a human level and, and have that conversation with them, give them great content, they're going to recommend you. If there is actual value from the product, they're going to recommend your service. And I'm always surprised that, that, that when businesses don't do that, 
Um, and I think it's such an obvious one when, when you can, when you can build such a powerful relationship, such a powerful kind of like marketing channel of, um, of, of, of brand advocates that are really shouting the message of your, of your brand. And I think for me, I think that's the biggest bit of advice I give, even if you're selling, I don't know, selling socks. If someone buys a pair of socks, email, <laughs> email them back and say, what did you think? Always looking for feedback. What do you think of these new designs? And just that conversation alone, that brings them into the, it brings them in and makes them, um, makes them an advocate. And I was, I was listening to a, a podcast this morning about um, the, the BrewDog founding team. And again, it's, it's kind of, it's that, that idea that you're not just selling a product, you're selling, you're selling a mission, you're selling values, and you want to bring the customer into those, those conversations. You want to bring them into decisions you're making. And that's how you're going to build a community. And that's how you're going to build an army of advocates. And that's kind of something I think a lot of marketers are missing out on. And at Chip, you've really taken this another level by, well, the, your, your community members have skin in the game, right? Because they're investors also. I think that's what's quite unique about your community is that people actually really want you to succeed because then it's, you know, their investments succeed absolutely yeah it's like our it's like the perfect um yeah it's, it's kind of the perfect situation where where all of our ambitions are aligned the customer wants a better yeah. product we want the customer to be happy we want the business to be successful the customer wants the business to be successful so it really is yeah it does i i, I would i would recommend crowdfunding i think it is um it's not it's not simple and it can be very very stressful but it does create massive benefits all over the place which we we've seen in the past well, that's a perfect place to end. Alex, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.